0: Uh, this morning we are continuing our, our summer sermon series that we are calling Red Letter Riddles, where we have been uh, exploring some of Jesus' parables, some of the, the parables, the stories that Jesus told uh, that, that kind of shared a truth about the kingdom of God. It said said this is what this is what it looks like to live in God's kingdom, to be a part of God's kingdom, to live and, and move and what it looks like now and and in the future. Um, we we've talked through the parable of the laborers in the vineyard where Jesus paints a picture of how generous God is with us through the parable of the sower, where the word of God is is sown in in different soils with, with the good soil being the soil where, where the the plants can grow and, and, and and build deep, deep roots and, and produce tons of fruit through the parable of the rich fool, where, where Jesus reminds us to check our priorities. And then last week, Dave Wilkinson was here. And, and you all read through the parable of the dishonest manager, which reminds us that whoever is faithful with a little can also be trusted to be faithful with much. This morning will be in Matthew chapter 22. If you brought your Bibles, I always encourage you to do so. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, the words will also be up on the screen. And we're going to be looking at a parable called the parable of the wedding banquet. So as we open God's word, will you please join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for bringing us together this beautiful morning, for the opportunity to worship together through song, to open your word, to be in community. And now as we we open up the Bible, we ask that the word would be planted deep within us. Give us ears to hear what you have for us. And God, I ask that you would take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So starting at Matthew 22, verse 1. One morning, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves, and in the Greek translation, slaves and servants are the same word, so he sent his, his servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they could not come. Again, he sent out his servants, saying, Tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the streets. And invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man, a man who was there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a a couple weeks ago, my mom discovered a, a box of letters rediscovered a box of letters, I should say, from from her parents, from my grandparents, written back and forth to one another in from the nineteen thirties. My my grandfather was studying at Georgia Tech, and my, my grandma was home in Indiana and they they were writing back and forth to one another and it was incredible to to read them, to kind of get a picture of what their lives looked like in, in, in the thirties. Now the the letters from my grandpa, didn't quite fit the picture I had of him. Yeah, my grandpa was always one of those, those kind of silent, stoic types. Man of very few words, very, very few words. And he wrote these letters that were multiple pages long, talking about what he was learning in his studies, talking about what was going on, current events. And, 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 and I mean, some of them were a little juicy. You know, writing, writing somebody, I said, I don't know if I want to be reading these. And then the the letters that my my grandma wrote, they they kind of matched the the person who I know as my grandma. She's really the matriarch of our family. They're well-written, to the point, encouraging and and, and loving. Uh, My grandma will be 103 in a few months. And even though her health hasn't been great over the last few years, she continues to have an impact on our family. This is one of my favorite pictures of my grandma. Um, that is my grandma's 100th Thanksgiving and my son's first Thanksgiving. That's one of my, my favorite, favorite pictures of her. Whenever grandma came over to our house, either as kids or, or as adults, whether it was for something like Thanksgiving or whether it was just to, to come over and, and have tea for an hour, she would sit down she, she'd kind of sit down at the table with, with either her, her teacup or or her food. And she'd get this almost childlike giddy smile on her face. And she, she'd just look around and she'd say, it's a party. It, it, it's a party. And, and we, my, my family to this day, sometimes when we're just having dinner together, we remind ourselves, we say, it's a party. It's, it, it's a party. I, she just, she loved being with family and and with friends, just being together. I think it's one of the main reasons that my mom meets with her, her brothers to go and visit grandma every, every Monday, even though she, she doesn't really know that they're, they're there. I have to be thinking that, that she's thinking that that phrase every time they show up, it's a party. When Jesus tells this, this parable, the parable of the, the wedding banquet, he paints a picture of a party that a king throws for his son and what a party it is. Jesus is talking with a, a group of religious leaders who had kind of grown suspicious of his teaching and, and openly questioned his authority. Why is he saying these things? How is he saying these things? Where is it, it coming from? So he tells a, a set of parables that, that involves the leaders and places what God is doing through Jesus at the center of the plot of the story. And right as the leaders connect the dots right when they realize, oh no, these parables, they're about us, Jesus tells this parable, the wedding banquet parable. It's a story that highlights the reality that the invitation to be a part of God's kingdom demands some type of response. The invitation to be a part of what God is doing in the world now and in the future demands some type of response of response. There's there's really no neutral ground. It's along the lines of what, what C.S. Lewis said, what, what he coined when he said there's only one of three answers to, to Jesus. He's either a liar or a lunatic or he's he's Lord. There has to be some response to who Jesus is, who Jesus claimed to be. Now this parable, it can be hard to hear, it can be hard to read, because when most of us picture a party that God is throwing. We, we envision a, a, a picture where, where the doors are open and everybody's welcome. We want everyone to come in. We kind of picture this, this big, open party. We don't want to talk about God's judgment. We definitely don't want to talk about that, that dark place, right, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We, we, do, we don't want to talk about that. And if we're not careful, we can, we can read this parable or hear this parable and miss the fact that the king extends multiple invitations to the guests first. That he invites them multiple times before they choose not to come. But at some point, they and, and we, we have to respond. We can also miss the joy that's, that's in this parable. Now, I, I'm, I'm curious. It's Sunday. I'm not wearing my robe. I can walk around. When you think of a great party, what, what do you think of? What do you think of? Friends, what, what else do you think of when you think of a great party? Yeah. Family, yeah. Good food. Can I get an amen? amen. What, what, what else do you think of? What? Laughter, Laughter. maybe maybe dancing, joy. You, you, you think of of joy. People people having fun. Last night, uh, my wife and I we went and and saw Paul McCartney. It was a a party of fifty thousand people. It was it was that's. A joyful event. That's the sort of thing that the king is extending the invitation to. to saying, hey, come and be a part of this party. He's not inviting them to something depressing. He's not inviting them to something saying, hey, if you want to come, you, you, you can come. This is, this is a party. Live music, good food, uh, the, 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 the works. It's a royal party. It's a royal party. And in the parable, Jesus describes three different types of responses that we can have to the invitation, three different types of responses we can have to the call. First, first there's those who who reject the invitation. The king sends his servants out to get in touch with those who had been invited to the party, those who had already been invited to the party. Now, in some ways, the etiquette around these these feasts and, and banquets in Jesus' day, it wasn't all that different than the etiquette that we have around weddings today. First, a general invitation is sent out, you know, maybe with just the date. Here, here's the It's the save the date card. It's the, the save the date card. Here's, here's when it's happening, but not the specifics. You might be missing the location. You you might be missing the the exact time, but but the date is there. The first invitation that went out was just kind of the, hey, it is is coming. That was how, it's the same as we do today in in many places. Then a few months out, a formal invitation was made with with all the particulars of the banquet, with all the particulars of the feast. And if you were a person of means, like the king would have been, you you would have your servants walk from house to house, from village to village, from town to town, Knocking on everybody's door saying, hey, make sure you know that you need to be at this place at this time. That's the second invitation, the more formal invitation. The, the goal was to avoid something that happened at my wedding when, when Haley and I got married. And one of my, my best childhood friends never got his invitation in the mail. He, he never got his invitation in the mail. We sent it out, but it got lost. And then when his roommate showed up to the reception, his roommate saw his name on a placard at their table and they said, well, Steve wasn't invited. And I said, Steve was definitely invited. What? So so these invitations were there to avoid people being missed, to to avoid them missing details, to make sure everybody knew what what was happening. The servants were sent out to make sure that all who were invited had all of the details. Then when the, they return, the king tells his subjects, they, they, they tell him, Hey, king, they don't want to come. The, the, the people don't want to come to this royal ball. And then he graciously, he sends them out a second time. He says, do they know what they're going to miss? Do they know what they're missing? It's as if he's saying to his servants that they, they don't want to miss this. Let's give them another chance. She goes out gives him another chance. And and for the religious leaders, they would have been hearing this parable, and it wouldn't have been subtle at all. They would have known Jesus was referring to them and to their colleagues in in Galilee and their colleagues in in Jerusalem who had rejected him. The Messiah was there, and they they refused to acknowledge it, even abusing and killing the prophets who who tried to invite them to be a part of what, what Jesus was doing. And as the covenant people, the religious leaders of the day, they, they, they accepted that general invitation. They the, the save the date card. They accepted the general idea of God's kingdom. But when the details came, it was a different story. Today, we know a bit more of the stories than the religious leaders of, of that day did. But, but the warning is the same. Are we just committed to the idea of God's kingdom? Is it just something we, we kind of like? Or are we willing to surrender to the particulars of God's kingdom? To the reality that Jesus alone is the one who's extending the invitation to be a part of what God is doing. Both today in this world and whatever the future holds as well. So the king is, is furious that his servants were, were attacked. So he sends his army out into the streets to take care of those who attacked his, his, his messengers. And he tells them, hey, while you're you're out there, invite anyone, the good, the bad, everyone. Invite them all. Tell them we want everyone to be invited at this royal ball. And that second group, they they respond by accepting the invitation. The good, the bad, everyone. And we we don't have to look too far into Matthew's gospel to know what, what Jesus means when he says, invite the good or the bad. It's the people that Jesus spent most of his time with, those who the society saw as, as broken, as flawed, the good, the bad, the tax collectors and prostitutes, the sick and the outcast, the people who were forgotten by the rest of the world, but who said yes to the invitation. Now, as attention moves from those who are invited first to everyone else, we see a, a transfer where God's word moves from being reserved for one set of people to being open to all. Um, one of the things I think we, we sometimes take for granted in, in the Western church or in Western culture is is our access to scripture. Most of us today, we, we learn to read at an early age. And, and if we're interested in the Bible, we have access to, to tons of different Bibles that we can read, and so some churches debate, well, NRSV, NIV. I mean, you, you could go on and on about the different translations. And I have a, a, a friend, uh, most of you know that, that my wife and I spent some time in, in Malawi, and we had a friend who worked with an organization called Talking Bibles. And what, what, what this organization would do is they would take a device that, that basically looked like, if I say this in the 1115 service, they won't know what I mean, it looked like a Walkman. You, you all know what a Walkman is. It looked like a Walkman with a hand crank on the side, and, and it was a and, and in that there was there was a uh, a, a translation of Scripture that that had been in the local dialect. And so they would go out into these villages and, and give the, the the village heads these these talking Bibles, and people would gather around and listen as they hand cranked the Bible, as the, and they listened to it. I, I have to think of it being something like a what what the the what the Gutenberg Bible was for for the Western world with the the printing press, a small picture of that in these these remote villages in Africa. So in this parable, access to God's kingdom, it starts with one group, and then it opens up to everyone. God's word moves from being available to one group of people to being available to everyone. And by now, the religious leaders who are hearing this parable, they would have been increasingly frustrated They'd be furious that, that, he, that the king invited the flawed people, that, that Jesus was, was insinuating that they need to invite the flawed people into their fellowship. Now, a lot of their, their world was created around the concept of holiness and cleanliness. So, so when you say the good and the bad, a lot of it had to do with, well, we, we need to stay holy, we need to stay pure, so we, 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 can't, we can't engage the other. And Jesus is saying, ah, no. We need to engage the other. Jesus is essentially saying the gospel doesn't discriminate blind, deaf, crippled, paralyzed, those who are familiar with scripture and those who aren't. Everyone gets an invitation. But that doesn't mean that the invitation doesn't come without expectation. The last part of the parable makes, makes that truth kind of hit home. There's three responses. We can reject the invitation. We can, be, we can accept the, the, trans, the invitation. Or we can be transformed by the invitation. In a lot of ways, it, this, this, this truth, it keeps the disciples honest. They, they would have been listening to Jesus as he was talking to the religious leaders. And, and they, this keeps them from saying, See, these, these Pharisees, these leaders, they, they blew it, but we're good. We're the ones who accepted the invitation. We're, we're good. We're good. This, this part of the parable keeps them and really should keep us honest as well. It's the day of the party. And, and while the king is walking around interacting with, with guests, he notices that there's a man who, who isn't dressed appropriately. He didn't wear his robe and he's a preacher. Notice that I'm not wearing my robe today. He he wasn't wearing a tux. He wasn't dressed appropriately for the ball, for the celebration. And the king asks how he got into the banquet. And then he sends his security guards to take him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now at first glance, we hear this part of the parable and we say, ouch, that's harsh. And really it is. But, But the wedding garment the clothes that that the guests would have been wearing, it's it's an illustration of a a, a rejected opportunity for a new existence. It's an illustration of a rejected opportunity for a a new existence. The guest was, was worthy for the king's invitation, but he refused to be transformed by that invitation. The metaphor of clothing, it's it's all over Scripture. A couple of weeks ago during our, our vacation Bible school, our kids focused on Colossians 3.12, which is clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Earlier, we read from Isaiah 61. Ed read from Isaiah 61. Where God's people are clothed with garments of salvation, covered with the robe of righteousness. This idea of of being clothed in a certain way, it wouldn't have been foreign to the religious leaders. They would have known that it was an illustration for, for something deeper. If we look at Jesus' ministry, he always meets people where they sit. He always meets them where they are. So, so when he, he meets the disciples, they're, they're fishing, and he, he talks to them as someone who is talking to fishermen would. He meets them as, as fishermen. As he approaches the Samaritan woman at the well... He finds common ground with her by talking about water. He meets her where she is. But just because he meets us where we find ourselves, I think that was true in biblical times, it's it's true today. Just because Jesus meets us where we sit today doesn't mean he leaves us there, it doesn't mean that he leaves us unchanged. He doesn't leave the fishermen the same and he, he doesn't leave the women at the well the same. He doesn't approach those who he meets who are sick and say, hey, just stay sick. What does he do? He heals them. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't meet Zacchaeus in the tree and say, "Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. But keep living that same way. Zacchaeus's life is transformed as he meets Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus reaches people where they are but his love refuses to leave them in that place. The invitation led to transformation. And the same can and should be true for us today. Jesus ends the parable with this really kind of funny sentence. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. Being called is accepting that invitation. The word call and invitation is the same word in this parable. Being called is accepting the invitation. Being chosen is persevering in that invitation. Persevering to the end, it's allowing the invitation to transform everything about our lives. May we respond to the invitation of, of the party with an enthusiastic, Yes! Yes, I want to be a part of those those great parties that we were talking about. We want to be a part of what God is doing in the world today and tomorrow. And once there, at the party, may we be continually transformed into the people that God has called us to be, clothing ourselves with things like righteousness, compassion, kindness, humility, patience. Let's pray. Loving God, we we thank you for the invitation to your party. And God, we ask that, that it would transform us. Reaching us where we are, but not leaving us in that place. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.